that finishing, not finishing, whatever my time was, whatever any time is in any of my races, that no matter what, I was enough. Just as I am this moment right here, right now, nothing needs to change. I'm enough. Mm. And that came to me after I raced Mendocino a week later and PR'd that 50K. And I remember sitting in my hotel room after that, and I might have even just laid down to go to bed, and I sat back up because this download came into me. I had to write it down about that I was enough, that I was absolutely enough, even if I didn't PR the 50K, even if I hadn't finished Lake Sonoma, that it just, it all came into me that, and that was exactly what I was meant to learn that week. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, and yes, I'm the host of this show. Today, I am welcoming back Liz McCutcheon and BJ Gumkowski. Liz is Yogi Triathlete's run coach. She's got a few years of experience under her belt. Nah, I'm only kidding. <laughs> She's been running for over 40 years, and I th- just think that's insane. She's been coaching for over five, and she's been on the coaching team of Yogi Triathlete since early 2020. We are super psyched to have her back, and by her side, or I should say by my side, is the co-founder and head coach of Team Yogi Triathlete, BJ, my husband, business partner, soul partner, teacher, contrast creator in my life. He's been a longtime, lifelong athlete who's been focused on the sport of triathlon for the past 18 years. So you guys, we had a lot of experience in the house today, and I can't wait to dive in. Beege and Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Back again. Yeah. Episode, I've been on a few times now. You have. The first one, was the first one you were on was the Mendo Smackdown? Yeah, with Jill. With Jill mm. and her dirty white visor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully that thing has been burned. Um, Beach, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good to be back. Good to be <laughs> surrounded by some amazing, amazing coaches, humans. I, I just love having you guys on the show because then I get to be the host. This is your party, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, like last time, you guys, I can't remember what episode it was, but I think it was back in, was it March, that we launched uh, our first episode with you two, and same thing, you guys don't know any of the questions I'm about to ask. We know nothing. I kind of feel like we should have like a buzzer, like I f- kind of feel like it's like a game show. Oh yeah, what is, was that, have Family buzzers. Feud? Is that where the, yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, Family Feud. And uh, actually one of our podcast guests, Tara Callaman, who came to us from Dublin, Ireland, was her and her family were the five-day champions on Family Feud back in the day. Wow. And we had yeah, a party. They in, won $25,000. We had a party in Boulder and she brought the, vi- the VCR she brought, tape. Yep, she and brought everybody over the tapes. Watched. Everybody wasn't partying. They were in the basement watching the video. They were partying. They okay, were they just were partying, partying in front of, because you do need to have a certain amount of hops in your system, I think, to watch. Uh, <laughs> An 80s episode of Family young Feud. Young 12-year-old Tara uh, <laughs> crushing it on Family Feud. Okay, back to the show, you guys. Okay. First questions for Liz. Liz, how have you fueled your morning so far? We know nutrition's important. We know you're living the demonstration. What do you got? (laughs) That's a great question. So today, my training is happening after this. So um, I went a little heavier and had steel-cut oats. 
mm. with a little bit of soy milk, blueberries, banana, some nut butter, and a little bit of flaxseed in there. And I've been hydrating. And how many hours between you putting that in and because you're a runner, so you're, I'm assuming you're going to go out and run. Um, how many hours between putting something heavier in and the run? How many hours are there? About three hours, a little over okay. three hours. And then will you take anything before the workout to kind of top you off or do you not need that? Um, I, what I often do is I'll take, it's not long. I only have 45 minutes of climbing to do today. So only, um, <laughs> but I will probably take, usually what I do is I take a goo with me, like a liquid goo or something just to have it. But normally I won't take anything else. If it was something longer, like say I was going out for an hour and a half or two, I would take in something else, just like maybe a half a bar or a gel depending, or just a banana. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 45 minutes. But I always like to have something because I've gone out, you know, for like 20 minutes and then all of a sudden I feel blood sugar drop and it's like whatever that day is, right? Stress is different every day. Sleep is different every day. We're different every day. So I always think having that just in case um, gel is super important. Yeah. I, I, I learned early on just to be prepared, but I don't, I don't automatically take it. I wait and see if I need it. Yeah. But it's nice to have it. So how do you know when you need it? Like what are some telltale signs for you? Um, if I'm on the trails, I start tripping. It's like I, I'm not able to like focus and stay present or um, my legs start getting heavy. Um, usually nausea for me is a sign that I need more. Hyd- I'm not drinking enough. So I need to start taking some in. And if I just start taking that in, I'll feel a lot better. Um, but one, I, I'm always paying attention to the thoughts that come in on whether, like I argue with myself about taking in fuel, but I know sometimes, but I know I better now that it can be the difference between me having a great training workout and a crappy one. And to me, that makes all the difference in how I recover. Yeah. I think that cue about tripping on the trail, I've noticed that too. Like right before I was injured last year, I was tripping on the trail a lot. Remember I was taking some big tumbles. And so that to me was a sign that some, that, you know, I didn't have that alertness or that energy level. Like it was being redirected somewhere, which ended up, but I just kept going and uh, that ended up being an injury. But I think paying attention to those signs, right? That's just awareness. Totally. And I, I didn't used to listen to that, but I would say the last couple of years, it's heightened totally. I can see it now, the, especially, you're right, the, the whole tripping on the trail, and that is my first sign. Um, something's going on. Something's going on, yeah. Going down. All right, I'm going to stay with you, Liz, for a sec here, because I want to know what you're training for and how it's going. I am training for Everesting, and I'm called the... Utah number one, because I guess they're doing two this year, which I, I didn't realize. But I'm so August 19th to the 22nd, I'm doing Everesting out in Utah. It's at Snow Basin and it 13 times up, 2.3 miles, taking the gondola down each time. And at the end, 29,029 feet, which is the same height as Everest. And it's going, um, wow, I'm it's funny because this morning when we were on the the live with the team, we were talking a little bit about mindset and 
that difference between just clicking over and going to that next level and knowing you have that next level. And I'm noticing just that shift that's happened with me on the hills where I used to always power hike. And now I challenge myself. Well, let's see how far you can run up. And normally I can, you know, oh, it's too steep. Oh, it's too, I got a power hike. It's, it's better for me. And um, yeah, the hills are strong right now. Nice. Yeah, so it's going, good. sounds like it's going well. It's going good. Yeah. And it's and a great time of year to train too. <laughs> so I love, okay. So now I'm going to take your race, but I'm going to ask BJ a question. This is, this is not on my list. Um, because something just came to me, like you're, you're going to be doing this 13 times, but then you're going to be hopping in the gondola and you're going to come down. So you're going to have rest. So Beach, somebody who's listening, who's also training for this, or they're thinking about training for this, what are some things they could do in that gondola to kind of help recover or keep things alive? Not really recover because you don't want to fully recover, but you want to keep things alive on that gondola ride before you start heading up again. Uh, first thing, I wouldn't sit. If you don't, if you don't have to sit, I wouldn't sit. Um, it would be a great opportunity yeah, as things get deeper in there is to change socks and shoes uh, uh, as an option to, to take that in. Um, nutrition, you know, chance to, to refuel because it, it's probably going to be challenging. I'm, I'm, but, you know, you, just tra- you can train yourself to take nutrition in as you go up, up a hill, but it might be challenging to get in enough of what you need. So maybe in that rest period, you can, you can do that, but also meditate. <laughs> Why can't you just, you know, standing meditation, just sit there, close your eyes and take a few breaths. Um, I, I can't imagine the gondola ride's going to be too long. Yeah. A couple minutes, if that. Yeah, I would, I don't, I'm not sure how long, but I, I don't think it's very yeah. long because you consider you're going up 2.3 miles yeah, and then to have that, that come down. Um, I think it will depend. I bet you at the beginning, sometimes it might be crowded, but as the day goes on and people are maybe taking more rest time at the bottom, my goal is to go up, come down, take any fuel I need with me, go back up and just keep the cycle going. You have 30 hours to do nice. it. Nice. Keep the momentum going, yeah. right? Like totally it's, it's it going. Pushing, the, pushing the car right over the edge and letting it go down as opposed to trying to stop that car once once it gets going like it's so much harder to start it back up after it's already begun so yeah keep that going I like it all right Beach, who's your favorite triathlon coach and why wow that's a (laughs) that's an on the spot question (laughs) I guess (laughs) wow (laughs) who's my favorite triathlon coach uh Right now, I guess I would say like um, Brett Sutton. Um, I've been reading a lot of his articles, and uh, and a lot of it, I, I know his he's perceived as someone who brings uh, extremes to uh, to the sport and trains athletes uh, like the top tiered athletes, you know, uh, with massive sets and massive. Workouts, but as I read his articles, a lot of the stuff that he talks about is pretty basic, and uh, it just resonates with me. It's like consistency. It's it's about uh, feeding the athlete's desire and and joy factor. It's um, building power through the exercises you're doing in the sport, not necessarily uh, adding strength and um, you know, weight workouts outside of the sport. There's things that you can do and, uh, and challenging yourself. Like always, always, as we talked about this morning, going up that next level, like 
doing a swim set and then coming back in the afternoon and doing the same swim set. Why? Because just to prove to yourself and your mind and that you're that you can that you can do it. And that carries over to to racing. So yeah, I've just been reading a lot of his stuff. It's been in my awareness and on the spot, that's really what connects with me. Plus I would say I ride um with Scotty, um, DeFilippis and Carrie Lester. And they were under Brett's guidance as well. So I feel like I'm when I speak to them, I'm getting that same sort of uh, coaching vibration and philosophy. So what is it that you see in Brett that you like, which I guess would be your the why part of that question. Like what, is, what are the, the qualities it's, that you're like, you just It doesn't love? overcomplicate things. Mm. It's really simple. It's just super simple. Just do the work. Like, <laughs> Please. <laughs> please. <laughs> just do the work. Just do the work. Show up. <laughs> um, prepare. You know, if this means something to you, then, then show up and, and give yourself the chance to do it. And if you um, happen to not complete the workout this time, you will the next time. It's not, a, it's not a pass to throw that out the window. It's We all started somewhere. We all took that first step. Liz, you did that first hill. Um, you needed to see that you could do the hill. You know, I needed to do my first Ironman to see I could do an Ironman. So we were always at that place where we needed to experience the unknown. And I just love how he puts you into the unknown a lot, uh, gets you really familiar with that. Awesome. I like that. I like that answer. I like that answer. Yeah, I could have gone into my head really deep and kind of figured it out, but then the time would have been up and right. everybody would have abandoned the show. <laughs> it would have been part we probably three. would have had a fight. <laughs> part three. Come on, BJ. <laughs> Just choose. All right, Liz. So an athlete comes to you because they want to be a better runner. Mm. What's one just one, like one key element that you believe help someone become a better runner? And I know there's like a whole bunch, and this is a big question that I'm asking, but like, what's the first thing that comes like, just that one element, what's the one thing that like is essential to becoming a better runner? Knowing your why, why do you want to become a better runner? That's the Mm -hmm. first thing that came in my head was the word why. Just knowing why, because if you don't know why and the real why, not the, I want to show it on social media why, or... I want to show that other person why it's, it's that deep inner knowing of why they want to be a better runner mm. and defining that. What, what is, what is a better runner to them? Is it running more efficiently? Is it being able to run longer than they have before? Um, yeah. So defining that for themselves. Who's your favorite runner right now? My favorite runner? Yeah, right now. And, the, you know, they can be on this earth or not on this earth, but... You know, that's a tough question. Who's the first person that came to mind? My daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, when <laughs> you said awesome. it, my daughter, Anna, just she's been running. She runs the 800 on the track team I coach. And the 800, as we know, is not an easy race to race and she's been PRing and, um, and she handled it with grace yesterday that they moved the 800 in the district championships to yesterday instead of being Saturday. And she just, she wasn't able to do it, but she qualified for it, but she wasn't able to do it because she had to work. She had already had the obligation. She couldn't find someone to cover a shift. So, um, so Oh, yeah. what an e- epic life lesson right there. Totally. But she's in the four by four. So 
Um, what I love about her is, and I could also say it's my older daughter, um, but she's since graduated and is college. But what I love is you, I can see her before the race and she's walking around getting her mind around it. Like she, she's away from people. She's not in the energy of others. You can see that she's getting her mindset ready to get on the line. And I love how she gets on the line and she's just ready to go. Like, and she goes. That's awesome. That's like best answer ever. Did, was your mind like, oh, I need to pick somebody like in the media or professional, like that would be the the right answer? You know what? A few, a while ago, I would say, yeah, I'd be like, oh, what does everybody want me to say? But now I know better. (laughs) And now it was the first thing that came into my mind. That was the best answer ever. Cool. Beach, what type of athlete do you think would benefit from a coach? What are the qualities of an athlete who could really benefit from being coached? I think some uh, first thing that comes to mind is an athlete that doesn't uh, that has an opportunity with trust, uh, trusting trusting themselves, trusting their their choices, trusting their path, trusting their, um, trusting the workouts that they do. And they might just need that guide to kind of steer them a little bit, um, a little bit left or right of where they're going, not totally flipping it around 180 degrees, but sort of helping them or guiding them into finding, finding the trust and belief in themselves. Cause that's, that's what I would want in a coach, you know, not an authoritative approach where they're, you know, the big hammer comes down and this is the way it has to be. I, I, I believe it's a, a, a person that just needs a little nurturing, just needs a little encouragement and, and um, maybe an ear, maybe just listening and being able to, to speak to the opportunities that they see once the athlete speaks. Uh, and that athlete has everything they need. They just, they're just, you know, maybe wavering a little too much left or right. And, and the coach can kind of reel them into um, maybe just a, a, a clearer, a clearer direction. Yeah. Without, without being the hammer of, the, of absolution. Like this is the way it has to be. Yeah, I love that answer. Um, and that leads me to, I'm going to take it over to Liz. So we know, all three of us know, that until we see it, we can't see it, right? Like we can't see it. If, if it's buried and we're hanging out on the surface of life, we're not going to see it until we turn in and we start to look at what's brewing under the surface. So for an athlete that we recognize, you know, is having some of those trust issues, belief in themselves, things like that, what are some of the symptoms, like the symptoms that you would see in an athlete that would say like, oh yeah, like they've, they've got some trust issues because you're the objective view and maybe they can't see it yet, but listening to this, they might be like, oh my God, I think that's me. Oh my God, I think that's me. Yeah, some of them who listen are going to be like, oh, she caught me. Um, Yeah, like why why did she have to take that to a second part of the question? I was very happy being in the the dark about my non-trust. I would say one thing, and I would have to say this is what I notice the most when it comes to just trusting the process 
and not listening to everything that's out and around them is when you you're working with an athlete and they start recording your their runs and you start seeing them and you give them say zone 2 conversational pace run and every single run they're working to go and get a certain number of mileage at a certain pace or they're going faster or their heart rate's going up on these runs and like they're racing and trying to PR each one or get that amount of mileage in that amount of time. Yeah, I would say that's the that's definitely, I would say, one of the first things I noticed. Or um, you give them a couple days of workouts and what they do isn't what you put in the plan. <laughs> We've and then never they seen do it. This. Then they do it consistently, and you're like, "What? Uh, hmm. Okay." <laughs> and then they're like, "I'm having this sensation in my hip or my knee." Yeah, that's what the gray zone will give you. But I think that's so true. You know, Beej and I were reflecting on uh, leading up to my first Ironman in 2008. I ran my first marathon in the fall of 2007. I ran my second marathon in January of 2008. I ran my third marathon in March of 2008. And then I spent five weeks pool running because I had a stress reaction in my shin because I needed to, and, and why I'm saying this, because I didn't, I needed that evidence that I could run a marathon, right? But more evidence is even better. But actually what more evidence gave me was an injury. Right. So we, I think to a degree, I won't speak for you guys. I'll make an assumption that we've all done this to some oh, degree. Totally. Yeah. Oh. And, totally. and you need it, right? It's a necessary part. I was a necessary part of my path. And now I can speak to doing a two hour pool jog with Z4 intervals, like a crazy person in the pool. Like I had to warn the lifeguard, like I'm, I'm going to be fine. I just want to let you know, I got to get my heart rate up like to like 165, 170 in the pool. So I'm going to look crazy. But in the end, whoa, I wanted evidence that I could do something tough. Those three marathons were nothing compared to that two hour pool run. Yeah, definitely. And um, the thing I love is that at least the athletes I'm working with, they're so open to hearing it. And they know when you say it, they're like, you're totally right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But you guys create a safe place. You create a safe space for that. And I think that's so important, like BJ was saying, not this authoritarian, you've got to do it my way, it's got to be this way. But it's, you know, as BJ uses all the time, like being those rumble strips, like they, because the only person that can do it is them. The only person that can believe in themselves is them. We believe in them. We see their possibilities. Um, It's easier to see that in another. But to remember that when we see it in another, it's because it's in us. And we wouldn't be able to see it in another if we didn't have that reference point. No, and I say all the time, I'm I'm here to guide, I'm not here to tell you what to do, force you to do anything. I'm just here to guide you um, onto your path. Well, we're always on our path, but to continue on their path with momentum to who they really are. And even when I see these things going on, I approach it from the way of, hey, I'm curious. And then I lead into like, I'm just noticing um, and then they, and then I kind of ask guide with a question, like, I'm just, I'm just wondering, 
And then they, <laughs> it just, it makes it an easier way to open up the dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. To ask them to go in and, and go into that inquiry. I love it. Beach, what are you super jazzed about right now? I'm super jazzed about uh, my race. I, 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 I'm, it's been two years since I've raced an Ironman. And so I have the butterflies that are like, oh my God, can I do this distance? Even though I've done, you know, 15 of them. It's, it's this, I still am human. So I have that thought, but I'm just so excited to, because I feel like the past two years I've really changed as an athlete and the way I approach uh, races and, and training. Actually, my whole approach is different. And I'm just excited to see what that day what that day like unfolds. And I was sharing this morning on the live, I actually had like my first nightmare last night about like not getting to the start line, which hasn't happened in years, like a long, long time. And I woke up to it and I was like, I kind of laughed at it and had an appreciation that I'm, I, I can still feel these things. Like I can still be in that newness, that excitement, um, because you can either see it as anxiousness or nervousness or fear, or you can see it as an, uh, a moment for excitement. And so I choose excitement. At first, it may look and come in the shape of, of fear to most people or anxiousness, um, but I choose to, to focus on excitement. So I'm super like excited to be in the vibration of an Ironman, to be racing with pros out there, to to showcase this run fitness and bike fitness and swim fitness that I've been building over and over again. And to really say like, you know, in February I was unable to bike and run and now it's June and I'm like at peak fitness, like probably where I have never been before. So I'm just excited to see what that, what that means on a celebration day. What race is it? Ironman Coeur d'Alene, which was my first Ironman Back in 2006. It was also another first, wasn't it? It was my, it was my first DNF. Uh, the last time I was there, I was taken back on mile 18 in an ambulance back to transition. Uh, I had, uh, it was so hot and I had definitely not done a good job. I was overtrained and I can share a video. Uh, it's on YouTube of <laughs> how much I was suffering in my training leading up to that. Um, yeah, I was definitely overtrained, and I DNF'd. I couldn't. I couldn't finish the last, you know, eight miles of the marathon. So, yeah, it's you not that I, terrible coming out of T two. Yeah, I <laughs> and was, I was like, go! And our friend Liam was there, and she's like, Jess, he looks really bad. <laughs> let's. <laughs> he, he was just devoid of color. <laughs> let's paint this picture and see if anybody can relate. Your training is amazing. <laughs> you believe, and you're crushing yourself, and you're doing epic workouts day after day. And you're not sleeping well or eating well or resting well. And you're doing projects late into the night leading up into the race. And then you get to the race and you have one of your worst swims. So you then you go and hammer the bike as hard as you can and you have a bike PR. And then you suffer for that and everything you've done on the run only to be carted off in an ambulance and then to walk <laughs> away from the sport for a year or two. Yeah, that was monumental. I can't believe that. Pretty much what happened. Yeah, that was wild, dude. And then that was the same year that we moved back east. We decided to pack up everything and leave Boulder and go back to Rhode Island. So. Well, funny little side story was the night before the race, I had my first psychic reading with that amazing woman. I think you've worked with her too, Liz. And this was the first time, and she was in Boston, and I was in Coeur d'Alene, and I get off the phone, and BJ's like, so what did she say? Am I going to qualify for Kona? And I was like... 
well, she said that we're moving back east and you're going to live with your parents and I'm going to stay in Boulder and sell the house. And he was like, what? And it all unfolded. Exactly it all it unfolded. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think I did ask her if you were going to qualify for Kona and I think she had a firm no on that. But I didn't want to tell you that. <laughs> It was a pretty wild weekend. So I'm looking oh, forward to funny. going back. That is that was my also my first Ironman and such a beautiful place. Uh so we're looking forward to it. All right, cool. Good story, Beach. <laughs> Good story. Okay, going from Beach's worst race ever. Liz, what was your greatest race ever? Oh, wow. <laughs> Let me go back through the files. Um <laughs> I always surprise. <laughs> I like surprising people. Can we get archives up here, please? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> you see him wheeling in the dolly with the file cabinet. <laughs> um, my best race ever was DNFing Lake Sonoma. Oh, look at that. I know people would be like, isn't it when you, yeah, I could say it was my 5K PR or getting under 150 in the half marathon or I don't know, getting my second fastest time on the marathon in Chicago, but it's not. Um, my most epic was DNFing Lake Sonoma and what it's still continuing to teach me. I keep saying, I don't want to run you. We're going to cancel it. I don't want to run you. We're going to cancel it again. I don't want to run you. Now we're going to have it Labor Day. Oh, I could maybe do Labor Day. No, I can't. Oh, you know what? You can defer to next year. <laughs> it's so so I will be lining up in April nice. 2022. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's telling you, you can't, dude, you cannot deny this. It's like telling yeah. you, like, you get your butt back here. I'm trying. And let's finish this up, my friend. Let's finish <laughs> totally. this up. Totally. Oh my it's God, funny. that's so amazing. Yeah, I didn't know you were yeah. going to be lining up in April. I am extra excited now. My day is totally made. I oh, love awesome. it. I like making people's days. Yeah. What's one thing you pulled away from that that made it your greatest? Oh, so it was um, <laughs> that finishing, not finishing, whatever my time was, whatever any time is in any of my races that no matter what, I was enough. Just as I am this moment right here, right now, nothing needs to change. I'm enough. Mm. And that came to me after we, because we, I raced Mendocino a week later and PR'd that 50K. And um, I remember sitting in my hotel room after that, and I might've even just laid down to go to bed and I sat back up because this download came into me. I had to write it down about that I was enough that I was absolutely enough, even if I didn't PR the 50K, even if I hadn't finished Lake Sonoma, that it just, it all came into me that, and that was exactly what I was meant to learn that week. And has that stayed with you? Totally. I've had moments of deviating, like where I have moments where I forget, but I'm so aware of the 10,000 foot view now that I see it right away and snap myself out of it. Yeah. So it doesn't, so realizing you're enough doesn't make you immune from those moments where you're like, you're such a piece of crap. It's just, 
It's more of holding that 10,000 foot view and say, you know, what's a piece of crap? That belief and that voice. And there's no substance to that. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Okay. Beach, you're in taper now. Um, we just heard that you didn't do a very good job of that back in 2010. So we're wondering, what are the elements of a good Jess, taper? it was 2006. Let's be clear. No, tw- 2010 was the DNF, was the Coeur d'Alene. Oh, I it, thought he said it was 2006. That was his first sign. He, we've been to Coeur d'Alene oh, a few times. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I apologize. You know, Beej, he like please gets to delete his, this from the podcast. <laughs> he gets his sets, sights on a race and then we just go back to it every year. Um, kind of like Mendocino. I guess I do the same thing, right? Um, yeah, so like you just tapered me for a little trail race and you did a great job. You always do a great job of tapering me. Um, so what are the elements of a good taper? Uh, number one, don't, pra- don't practice the taper in taper. You know, uh, actually see what starts to work well in your training. You know, take uh, some light days, see how the body reacts. We're all, we're all unique, obviously, but we all adapt in different ways and we all... Um, react to stresses in different ways. So to say that your taper would be the same as Liz's or mine, you know, this is how it should be, um, is I don't believe that's possible. But what we can do is, is focus on what's working well for the athlete, um, what doesn't work well for the athlete and always tune into maybe not the physical obviously will come down, but it's like, what is going on with the mind? How can we keep the mind firing and in that, that mode of, of uh, confidence and belief without what happens when we, what we've been doing for 50 plus weeks, all of a sudden we take that down. And so what does the athlete, you know, do? It's like, what do I do with this time? Or they start to panic train or have thoughts of, um, they're not going to, they're not going to be fit enough because somebody else train, panic training, uh, they're not going to be fit enough because they see on social media that somebody else is doing a different workout. So I think some of the elements are, you know, rest, more rest, um, removing things in your life that are not necessary, like these tasks and uh, projects that maybe you can push off. Uh, and that, that might mean saying no to a few things, like taking ownership and, and feeling uncomfortable with being a little selfish and saying, I've spent all this time training, I've spent 50 weeks training, and then in the final two weeks, you add all these commitments because you're not training as much, and then now you get wrapped up in other things that are bringing um, stress into your life and um, distractions. So I think a real good taper is allowing things to to fall away, like allowing yourself to say no, allowing yourself to get some extra sleep, allowing yourself to maybe skip a workout here and there because this isn't the time to get fit. This is the time to allow the fitness to absorb and soak in the body and get um, as primed as you can for a race day because you can't even line up for a race if you're not healthy, um, healthy, calm, and um, and topped off. So you got to get to that start line however you need to do it. Even if you did nothing in the final two weeks of a race, it's better than you know, putting yourself in, uh, jeopardizing yourself in a situation where you're pushing intensity that could lead to an injury or you know, a fatigue or, um, some, some mind stuff going on. So, uh, yeah. And tapers can be anywhere from, you know, three days to two weeks, I would say, depending on the distance and the athlete. Yeah. So I, I like to keep, for me, I'm like, I was talking about my training, the, these two weeks, 
for me, are still keeping some intensity and a little bit endurance in there. It's It's been feeling good for me leading into races. And that's for me, this is what I've discovered. I've done the two weeks where you do like, you know, five or six hours of training total. And it doesn't, it hasn't ever felt good. Um, so I keep the wheels turning over. I do small bits of intensity. And then the rest of it is um, kicking up the feet and getting ready for the race in other ways, you know, logistically. I think that's really key because we're also different. Not everybody loves taper. Um, people who are more like high energy, fiery, like it is good to kind of take them down a little bit. Beach, what I know about you, like from an Ayurvedic perspective, um, is that it is good for you to keep a little heat in there, keep that engine going because you're you're more earth, you're more grounded. And so to pull it down too much, it's it's like that breaking the momentum. It's going to take more effort for you to pull that back, that energy back up. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I feel. I feel like I take it down and then I'm never able to ramp it up on race day as much as I feel I could. So the day before race, you know, I'm going to bike with some intensity. Um, I did that for the past two races and it felt good. All right. Let's define that because somebody's going to go, I'm going to go out and hammer the course so, the day because we've seen that. We've Remember? Seen that. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. We saw, I think it was 2006. We uh, were with our co- our old coach Craig, and they they were driving the bike course. And one of the athletes that was racing was like I don't know, like fifty miles out on the bike course, like ride like riding the course. So that's a little too much. So like, what does we would say pull it back from there? What does that look like for you, like the day before? You know, three or four times, you know, five minutes at race intensity. And what's the total dis- time that you're I'll on the bike, bike for an hour? Hour fifteen, um, but I'm at that. But you know, for for one of my athletes, I would say go out and, and spin for twenty minutes, shift the gears, and and make sure everything's working well with thirty minutes. For me, as a, as the athlete that I am in this body at this point in time, an hour and fifteen doesn't really. It's not taxing the body; it's actually revving it up. I do six and seven hour rides, so to go one fifteen is not. And you don't not, do one six to seven hour ride. You do it week after week right, after week after month yeah. after month and, after month. And you better believe it. The day after the race, I'll be doing yoga. I'll be I'll be on the bike for an hour, and I'll be in the water again the day after the race. Yeah, there were, I saw the expressions on the faces the other day of the people <laughs> who are doing cordelain beaches. Like we're going to be in the water and riding the bike the day after. They're like, uh, okay. <laughs> I think the key too of what BJ said too is individual. Mm-hmm. Okay, because everybody like listen to that, guys. Like individual, and what may be right for him isn't right for you've got, and that that's that going in again that we always talk about. Of you need to sit in stillness and know you know what's right for you, and you have to trust the process and trust the coach that they're going to give you what you need to succeed. Yeah, it is, and and when you sign on with a coach, like there's a process there of of creating that trust, but it requires the athlete to take a risk while being aware of how it's flowing and moving and listening to their gut. Um, it's a process, but it's you got to take that risk to trust because trust is not about the known. Trust no. is about the unknown. Trust is about the athlete you want to be. Right. Trust Absolutely. is the athlete you came here to be. You have to have that trust. So it takes a it takes a minute or two to get it. Um, so Liz, what are two what are two of like your would you say are like your core training principles as a coach? I would say 
being open to the process, just being open and being open to show up and do the work. Like you have this goal and then you show up, but then you're not doing the work. Like even if it's just doing some of the work, showing that you mean business with your, what you want to achieve is, um, important to me, I would say. Um, and I would have to say being open to meditation, that is such a core part of my training and what I give to my current athletes. And what's funny is I never have someone say they're not open to it. Even those that end up not working with me, they're still open to it. Yeah. But what's funny is, and then when they start to do it and they start to realize, oh, okay, I have to sit still. But they all gain, like, it's amazing what, what, if you're open and willing, what can happen. Mm. So it's just being, being open for me is a big one and showing up to do the work. Yep. Definitely. Awesome. Beach, how do you slow down? Cause you're about big on math training. How do you slow down your run without losing form? You know how people say, but I feel better when I'm running. Right, because they have practiced running at that pace <laughs> for a long period of time. So they've practiced and created the habit in their body that that feels good. So it might feel awkward at first to start to slow that down. What are some cues you would give them to keep, to keep their form um, where it's helpful and efficient for them as they adapt to a slower pace, which eventually is going to get them faster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most often a slower pace equates to uh, a more lumbering um, stride, so it's it's heavy on the body. Uh, I would I would switch that around, and it's a it's a mantra that um, Siri Lindley really practices and shares with her athletes, which is quick feet, tiny steps, quick feet, tiny steps, and so you're light on your feet and you're relaxed upper body, and your 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 stride length is a lot shorter. And, um, and you're bouncing a little bit. And so I, I would strongly encourage them not to look at their watch, not look at pace or heart rate or anything like that. Um, but really click, cue into how you're, how you're holding your body, um, meaning how you're holding your hands, how you're holding your shoulders. Are you leaning a little bit forward? And are your feet quickly turning over or are you lumbering? Because lumbering is going to equate to like, this feels awful, like this is terrible. When we go fast, we mask the little um, mm. inefficiencies in our body. And the same thing can be said about swimming too. When I ask athletes to swim slower, that it, it doesn't feel good. Right, because you only have one gear. And this is the same thing with running. It seems athletes have one gear. I can only run 8.30 pace, that's it. And when you ask them to do a 10-minute pace, it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel good. Right, because you haven't done it. You haven't practiced it. Um, are you open to it? Great. Well, let's begin to do that. And it's a slow shift It's because it, you're changing the way the body moves most often. And it may require you to walk a little bit and walking's fine. Uh, one workout I discovered, you know, two years ago, working, uh, training with a, a professional here was the nine minute run, one minute walk. Uh, and it resets the awareness, the body position and how you carry yourself through longer runs. So you're running and jogging easy for nine minutes and then you stop and you just walk for a minute. And that's when things can kind of reset and then you start up again. 
and then maybe you get you get the feeling that you can carry yourself in a different way. So um, I've gotten to the point where my cadence is the same at eight. 45 pace at 930 pace and almost at 730 pace like that wide range my cadence can be the same even though my heart rate and pace are are different which means that I'm adjusting I, I've got that light feel uh, quick turnover um, so yeah it's a feeling thing it's very very big on feeling and you got to be open to it right we gotta we gotta detach from I can only run at this pace because it feels good a lot of things that don't feel good, are, don't feel good because you haven't practiced them. So be open to it. That's one of Liz's core training principles. So if you're listening to this, you're a runner <laughs> and you're like, I want to get better running, work with Liz. She will, she will um, use her core principle to help you become <laughs> a, a faster runner because by going slower, you will absolutely 1,000% get faster. It's the same yeah. thing with meditation. When we meditate, we slow down our internal rhythm. And then what happens is we actually become more efficient. We get more done because we do it right the first time. We don't have to like go back to the UPS store because we forgot our wallet. Like we don't have to, you know, go back and say, <laughs> I'm sorry to, uh, you know, a family member because we pushed them aside when, you know, we were rushing off to do something. Like when we actually slow down, we're fully there in a moment and we actually get faster, I guess you could say, in life. It's good stuff. Um, Liz, who's been like a, a mentor or one of the greatest influences on you? As a, It could be a coach or an athlete or maybe neither of those two. Wow, pulling out the big question. Am I pulling out big questions? I said nobody I was getting yeah, thrown under the bus. Yeah, to be like mentor. like Get the, um, get the file system out again, guys. Yep. <laughs> get the archives. Um... <laughs> there are many and there have been different ones in different parts of my life one that just got downloaded to me was his name was professor reicheld and when i so when i graduated from high school i went to college but i paid for it on my own so for the first two years i went to a community college and he was my economics professor at the community college and he was amazing because he saw more in me than I saw in myself at the time. And I'll never forget that. He considered me Harvard material. Now, I, it, this could be a great movie story if I told you, oh, I went to Harvard. I did not. And I was a but, janitor, and then I solved the equation that, on the wall. That movie's about me, And then actually. they casted Matt Damon. And they talked about apples. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like I love that <laughs> Professor Raquel? Yeah, and shout he, out. Um, to yeah, he um, owned a Christmas tree farm in his off time, and yeah, he was he was awesome. And and he nominated me. I actually got this award called the Wall Street Journal Achievement Award in Economics that he nominated me for that I didn't even know. Um, it just show he just yeah, you just need that one person sometimes. Professor Raikel, he was your homeboy. I like it. Yeah, long time ago. You guys are my mentors now, some of my mentors now. Like, I do want to specify that. My husband. Like, yeah, I, I think anybody that is out there teaching you is somehow a mentor to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess we could say everyone in our life 
yeah, as a mentor. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even Matt Damon. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> and he's from Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. I'm going to meet him over for a burger at Wahlburgers. <laughs> BJ, what are you most, what are you most proud of? What are you most proud of? I'm proud of uh, my my ability to. Um, it's hard to put this into words, but that's why it needs to be done. Uh, I'm proud of my ability to stay the course, stay the path. Um, when I see contrast around me for those that are unable to pull on that thread and keep pulling on the thread until the sweater disappears. Um, it, it shines a light that I have this skill I'll say that I've acquired, or maybe it's an innate, um, you know, quality of mine that I've been able to, to stick to this one thing for a long period of time. Uh, and that's not to say I don't have doubts and thoughts of moving in a different direction very briefly, but I have this belief and trust that this goal that I'm pursuing, uh, and it goes beyond just qualifying, you know, it's beyond qualifying for Kona. It's this, uh, it's this belief and trust that I'm exactly where I need to be and, and I'm going to keep moving myself closer and closer towards it until the next, until something more compelling uh, shifts and moves me away from this, this task. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a uh, stick to itness. Isn't that the word that we oh, were? Oh yeah, we created that. We created day. that word. Stick to itness. We have an email into Webster's <laughs> waiting for them. We to want get to add this to word. So yeah, I would say that's, <laughs> it's tough to say that too, because, because there's, you know, I, I, I see what other people would say is like, well, you haven't done it yet. So why are you still going? Like what, you know, there's plenty of other things in life to be filling, filling your time up with. But I just feel like I, I spring out of bed. I don't literally spring out of bed. I know you can attest to that. Yeah. Sometimes that's bullshit. But I get up <laughs> each day with, with this desire to train and improve my body and mind. But and he is very, you are very positive. Yes. Your mind springs. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that word bullshit. <laughs> it's the best. I think that's an amazing answer. I think it's really beautiful. Thank you. I see that in you. It's pretty impressive. I do too, and I'm not even there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You stayed the course with me. Now that's another topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with John. He sticks. He has a stick to itness of keeping me around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Liz. We recently, um, the coaches of Yogi Triathlete, uh, have welcomed in Daniel, which is our, our triathlon Daniel. coach. I know. Amazing. He will, uh, I'm sure he'll listen to this. And Daniel, we are recruiting you for the next coaches podcast. Uh, we'll probably do that maybe, I don't know, late summer, uh, fall. So get prepared for that. But in that, I gave everybody an opportunity to update their bios. We actually put our coaching philosophies up there. So you guys check, you can check that out at yogitrathlete.com forward slash meet the coaches. But Liz, in your, um, in your, oh God, bio, she's going to throw my words back at me. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Here we go. 
In your bio, it says that you've been known to challenge your limits and go beyond that edge. And how are you doing that now? When I said that, that was bullshit. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jess, how am I doing that? Um, You know, it's funny because the other day I was thinking, where were we? Oh, you know, we were in the Wake Athlete um, monthly get-together. That was a good session. That was a great session. If you guys aren't in the Awake Athlete in the YT Patreon community, I highly recommend it. It's an amazing group of people, an amazing energy when we come together once a month. But I noticed, like a lot of people when they're updating or talking about what's going on, it's around training. And what's funny is I noticed that mine isn't. And it's not that I don't have... I'm not going to my limits or the edge of my training. And that's where I was the last couple of years. But now it's in my life that these things are happening. And um, I would say that, well, one of them is doing Lake Sonoma, I would say. Mm-hmm. That is definitely one where I'm, that's definitely one where I'm, um, You know, it's kind of like the Godfather. <laughs> you keep pulling me back in. Um, and I keep not wanting it. No, no, I really mean this. This is what I mean. I'm not going to do it. I don't need to do it anymore. I don't have any karma with Lake Sonoma anymore. But it keeps coming back in and to my awareness, to my dreams. So I would say that deferring to April and knowing I have that definitive time um, is one of them. But I would say in my life, it, like, it's saying yes to volunteer at Western States for something I know nothing about. Like, but when I, it's, it's that saying yes when your whole body means yes and not saying no because you're afraid. Um, and West, this volunteering for Western States was definitely one of them. And um, just the continual staying in my lane of um, which is not my normal MO throughout my life. I always felt like I needed to, no, I know this, so I need to tell you, and then you need to get on my lane. And now I've learned that that is not the case, that me staying in my lane is the best thing I can do for the others in my life so that they can be in their lane and live the life they are meant to live, not a life I think they should live. So I would say it's those things where I'm, and I think a byproduct of staying in your own lane is like now you're in your lane and you're not bringing all these people in it. So it's just you and your lane and you really get to look at it and say, mm, let's see, how's my lane looking? And that's the work that nobody wants to do. No. And a man, is it coming at me? <laughs> um, I'm dodging things left and right now. Um, and I would say, but I'll, I will add one that is in my training right now. It's... Um, just reminding myself of the strong athlete I am. I lost sight of that for a little while and I'm, and I'm getting it back. And it's not about pace for me. It, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm going to be the fastest I've ever been in my life. It's a, I'm just meeting myself each day and knowing that I, can I up-level this right now? Can I, in this moment, can I up-level? Am I holding back? Is there a reason I'm holding back? So I would definitely say that's where, um, yeah. Yeah, I would say your words are true. You guys, awesome. Awesome question answering. Do you feel relieved that the questions are done? 
No, I want more. You want I more? love questions, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got more that I didn't ask you, so I'm going to use them for the next one. Uh, but Liz, in these last couple of minutes, uh, I'm so glad you brought it up. You're volunteering at Western States. And the cool thing is that this is the first time there's going to be like a live feed. And so to, I, um, I don't know if this is going to launch prior to, but at least people will uh, understand uh, what you're doing out there. So let us know how you're going to be a part of it. So, yes, it's the first ever live stream, and it's the first Western state since pre-COVID. Um, I'm volunteering to be somewhere on the course and do something with this live stream. I, all I know is I a phone, a battery, and maybe a gimbal to, so it's not shaking around. Um, I don't know what that means, what it looks like. I don't know where I'm going to be. I did give some preferences where I'd like to be, and I, I went totally outside my comfort zone instead of staying in my comfort zone with the options. Um, and I've never been to this area of California, and looks like it's hot. I was looking at the temps. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'm also going to get to see some YT of the YT team, one of my athletes and a couple of BJ's athletes, which is pretty cool. Um I'm super excited about this. There's something about this race that's deep in my soul. I, I don't know why, but um, so to be there as a volunteer, I'm pretty excited. And I, it was a yes from the very beginning. The minute I saw it, I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm going to volunteer. And, and I've been volunteering a lot, which I love so much. And if, if you're out there, and you don't really volunteer at races, I highly recommend it. It's an amazing, amazing thing to do. Like, I, I love it. Yeah, and give back. Like, the giving back piece is awesome. And, you know, even if you're like, oh, but I'm my race schedule and I can't take any more time, just when you're out there and you're racing, give back. Smile. Thank the volunteers. You know, don't judge people who aren't doing those things. Release that stuff. Live the demonstration. We can give back in many different ways. Um, well, thank you so much, you guys. This was awesome. Thanks so much for trusting me with questions. And you guys do an awesome job answering them. They feel very, very authentic, beautiful, meaningful. I know everybody's awesome. going to appreciate this. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Peace. Peace.